As of last week, there are now 19 physical oceanographic real-time systems, called ports for short, located at busy ports around the nation. The latest system is now up and running in the port of Lake Charles, Louisiana. So what do these 19 physical oceanographic real-time systems do? Well, we'll talk with the manager of the program to find out. It's Wednesday, May 13th, 2009, and this is the Ports episode of Making Waves from NOAA's National Ocean Service. Here's something to ponder. Our marine highways carry more than three quarters of all U.S. goods and supplies. And while most of us probably never think of all the ships and barges coming in and out of our busy ports each day, this activity affects us all. When you fuel up your car, that fuel was carried at some point by a ship. And if you've gone shopping lately, many of the groceries and the clothes you buy, and in fact, probably most of the items you depend on, they got to your store thanks in part to the vast watery network of our marine transportation system. So how do you help keep ships safe as they flow in and out of our ports? How do you keep them from running aground or running into each other? How can you help make the shipping industry more efficient? Well, that's something that our guest today thinks about all the time. He's Darren Wright, and he's the program manager for the Physical Oceanographic Real-Time Systems Program. Again, that's ports for short. Now, to get an idea what the ports program does and why it's so important, Wright says it helps to first get an idea of some of the challenges faced by mariners today. In a lot of cases, you have 40-foot channels where you're bringing vessels in, and a lot of times the vessel draft is 38 feet. So, And then you have a channel which is you know, maybe 125 feet wide, and you have a, a vessel that's 100 foot wide. So, I mean, you're bringing these incredibly large vessels in these narrow channels. Uh, and on top of that, uh, you have one of these coming in right after another. In addition to that, you have recreational boaters. And you have sailboaters. And especially if you get a nice day on the Chesapeake Bay, you, have a sea, you, know, you see a sea of sails out there. Well, try to bring a, a large container vessel in when you have all that traffic going on. So there really is a lot going on in these ports that, that people may not realize. And while the network of ships and barges flowing in and out of our ports is huge today, it's expected to double or even triple by 2020. And now picture this, ships are getting bigger and bigger. Today, in fact, some ships can draw up to 60 feet of water. It's like carrying around a five-story building under the waves. And don't forget that all those ships and barges are sharing our waterways and ports with over 78 million recreational boaters. So now you hopefully have a picture in your head of all the activity going on in and around our waterways. So now let's talk about the ports program. Let's start off with the basics. What is a port system? Well, what's going on in a busy port is sort of like what's going on at a busy airport. Just as aircraft flying in and around an airport need current weather and ground conditions, ships coming into port need to know exactly what's going on in the water and in the air in real time. And that's what Ports does. And with the addition of the new system at Lake Charles, Louisiana, the Ports program provides this information to 50 ports around the country. Wright explains. It's a real-time system where we can provide uh, the mariner, and it doesn't have to just be the, the, the big shipping vessels, but any mariner in the, in the local area with real-time 
uh, water level or tide data. And weather data, we, we offer uh, wind, barometric pressure, air temperature, water temperature, that sort of thing. We provide current data, current meter data, so you know what the currents are doing as you're, as you're coming up the channel. Or, you know, you're out recreational boating, you want to know what the currents are doing in a certain area so you don't get stuck. Uh, we also offer uh, salinity information. Uh, that can be important for some of the uh, shipping companies because it helps determine what the buoyancy of the water is. Now this stream of real-time data is freely available on the internet for mariners, and it's freely available for anyone at all who wants it. And it's available by telephone, so ship pilots can dial up conditions wherever and whenever they need it. The different types of information monitored by ports are critically important to know. Now Wright mentioned buoyancy. Well, you might think that the salt content of the ocean at a port would pretty much stay the same, but it's actually changing all the time. And if you're piloting a cargo ship, knowing that salt level along with current patterns, weather, and channel depth will factor into how much cargo you can load on board while still being able to get safely out through the channel. Or imagine you're steering a giant freighter into a port and you need to know if you can fit under a bridge. Ports can help there too. We also offer uh, a sensor called Air Gap, where we install a sensor at the base of a bridge and it measures the distance between the bottom of the bridge and the surface of the water. And believe it or not, there are some vessels uh, big enough these days where they're coming close to hitting, hitting bridges. Now, most vessels know what their air clearance is, which is the, uh, the clearance from the, the base of their vessel to the top of the vessel. Now, if you know what the, the clearance is under the bridge and you know what your clearance is, you'll know whether you'll be able to fit it under the bridge or not. So small sensors, like the air gap device that fits under a bridge or the device that measures salt levels, these are examples of the pieces that make up ports. But it's important to note that each location where a port system is installed is unique. For one port, there might be hundreds of different kinds of sensors measuring conditions below, on, or above the water. Wright said that the configuration of these sensors, which kinds of sensors and where they're located, is customized for each port. In other words, the port system is offered up a la carte. Ports vary uh, across the country. We have 19 port systems uh, in play now. Each one of them is a different size. It, it's basically we go into an area, we sit down with uh, users or mariners in that area, and we have a requirements meeting. So where, where do you need information? So it's kind of a, a piecemeal system where you, you pick the type of sensor that you want and the information that you want and the location that you want, and, and we'll install a sensor there and put together a system based on the user requirements. Now, our smallest port system is one water level sensor up in New Haven, uh, Connecticut. And our largest one is the Chesapeake Bay, which has hundreds of sensors. And while there are other systems out there that measure tides and currents and other information, Wright said that many of these systems are for research or they're run by universities, and their primary job is to collect data for a specific purpose. And that's not usually related to shipping and navigation. Ports, on the other hand, is specifically designed for mariners. The sensors go exactly where the mariners need them, and the types of sensors are exactly what the mariners in a given port ask for. And Wright added, the data provided by the port system is also extremely accurate and reliable. NOAA stands behind all the data. We have a 24-7 quality control group who is monitoring the data from all these sensors 24-7. 
if they see any bad data coming in, it is flagged and the dissemination is shut off. So very little uh, amount of bad data ever gets out the door. So and and pilots and, and, and users of this data have come to rely on that. They're using this information to make important decisions on whether to send a vessel out or not, whether to bring a vessel in or not. And those decisions are important not only for safety reasons, but ports data can also be used to save a lot of money. Wright said that the Mobile, Alabama port system is a good example of the potential benefits of the system. In 2007, uh, December, uh, the port of uh, Mobile had a port system installed, brand new one, just like Lake Charles yesterday. Uh, three weeks after that system was installed, I got a nice letter from a shipping company said that in the first three weeks of this system being installed, uh, they avoided a grounding in one situation where they would have brought a vessel in without having that real-time information. Um, they, they would have definitely grounded. And then another situation... They would have held a ship up if they didn't have that real-time information for safety reasons. But since they did, there was a high water event going on. They knew they had that extra foot, foot and a half of water. They brought a vessel in, and they brought it in safely. So there's one situation where you didn't have a grounding and another situation where you saved a lot of money by bringing a vessel in that you normally wouldn't have brought in. Now, while Wright said that it's too early to know what the economic benefits of the Lake Charles system might be, he pointed to an earlier study of two older ports in Houston, Galveston, and Tampa Bay. That study showed that the number of groundings at both locations went down by 50% after the port system was installed. The economic benefit realized by both of the ports using the system was estimated to be between $7 and $16 million each year. As for Lake Charles, Wright said that a single oil spill in 2006 that shut down the narrow channel going into the Lake Charles port for nine days, shows the potential economic cost of losing just this one port for just a little over a week. Just the result of that one port uh, being closed for that nine days, the price of gas went up 20 cents. The price of natural gas went up 58 cents. And it cost the uh, consumers about $1 billion just having that one port, that one channel down for nine days. Now, we bring oil in and many other different places too, but this is just one example of why uh, it's very important to keep uh, this particular one up and running. And while it's pretty clear that ports can save time and money, it's just as important to note that preventing a grounding can also mean the difference between a safe journey and a big oil spill or other environmental disaster. But when bad things do happen, such as spills or accidents and the Coast Guard is called in, Wright said that the real-time data provided by the port system can be essential. The port's data can also be used for uh, search and rescue type stuff, uh, like the Coast Guard. If you know what the winds are doing and what the currents are doing, and you have a distress call of a vessel that lost power, if you have that information in hand, you'll have a much better idea where that vessel is going to end up. Uh, also, with uh, hazards such as oil spills, you know, we talked about avoiding... Uh, you know, collisions and oil spills, you know, that's the primary goal of ports. But you can also use ports data after the spill. Again, if you know what the, the currents are doing, what directions the currents are going, what direction the winds are blowing the water, you're going to have a much better idea which way that spill is going to go. Well, that's just a small sample of what ports is all about. Again, that stands for the Physical Oceanographic Real-Time System. 
And if you'd like to learn more about ports, surf over to tidesandcurrents.noaa.gov. And there you'll find a list of all the different ports in the U.S. using the port system. And as we said, there are 19 ports now, and that number is sure to grow. And while you're on the site, don't forget to check out the real-time conditions around the port of Lake Charles. Special thanks to Darren Wright, Ports Program Manager with the Ocean Services Center for Operational Oceanographic Products and Services, for taking the time to talk about the program. And that's all for this episode. If you have any questions about this week's podcast, about the National Ocean Service, or about our ocean, send us an email, and as always, we're at nos.info at noaa.gov. And don't forget that you can get the latest news and information about the NOS at oceanservice.noaa.gov. Now, let's bring in the ocean. This is Making Waves from NOAA's National Ocean Service. We'll be back with our next episode on May 27th.